Thank you. My name's Carol, and I'm a very grateful and enthusiastic member of Al-Anon. I wish you guys were a little more enthusiastic. Just a tad. I always think I'm in Nebraska when I hear this, because that's one of my favorite places to talk, because they're very enthusiastic. But everywhere I go, they're enthusiastic. Um, I want to see the hands of the AA members in the audience. I want you, Al-Anon, to take a look at the... Men and women of Alnon who have open minds. <laughs> Some don't care for us. Don't ask me why. Uh, I think they're afraid. You know, when you get boo and hissed, it's just because they're jealous they don't have one at home. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad you have this cross here because I have a young lady I sponsor named Rebecca, and she always... When she has the newcomers meeting and gets a whiner, she always says, get off the cross, we need the wood. And there it stands, you know. I just love it. I don't use notes, but these are my notes to remember to thank Cindy for asking me. I'm very grateful to be asked to share at any time because you have given me back the only thing that was ever mine to give away, and that's myself. And for that, I will be extremely grateful. Um, my gift bag in my room was darling, and uh, I thank you for that. My room is very lovely. You know, they had me uh, living in a teepee and going to the outhouse and uh, uh, all the stuff all the way up here because uh, I told Cindy that I really don't do campouts. My idea of camping out is wearing turquoise. And uh, <laughs> that's as close as I want to get, you know. Janet is a lovely hostess, and her husband, Carl, we just had lots of fun coming up here and lots of laughter because, of course, we had uh, Karen with us, who uh, is still napping. Um, but we tried. We tried. <laughs> we made a lot of noise. We went in several times, and bless her heart, she's really going to have to live this one down. <laughs> You've had a fine speaker. You heard uh, Donna, and you're going to hear her husband. Uh, I won't try to run into your time, <laughs> Terry, uh, this afternoon. You have a great, great bunch of speakers. They are all wonderful up till now. And uh, I'm a sharer, not a speaker. But uh, I need to tell you how grateful I am. This is beautiful. You know, this. Uh, I just got back from Alaska when the gentleman that stood up for Alaska and it is, uh, there are no atheists in Alaska. It is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And, and this comes pretty close. This is really gorgeous. We don't have this much open space in California. And uh, we don't have this much air. <laughs> and I'm not used to driving to a conference without a gun or a knife, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and lunch and water, because you never know when you're going to get there. They have every day you can turn on your television and see a, a, a what do you call them, runaway car, the chase, speed chase, you know. That's just common anymore. And uh, it's a crazy place to live, but I absolutely love it. I've always loved living in California. And for, for that, I'm grateful. I need to tell you a little bit about what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like today. I look nothing like the lovely lady you see up here today when I got to Al-Anon. 
uh, I have before and after pictures. I don't know what I have with me, but uh, to proof of what I'm talking about. And uh, this is not ego. It's just um, reality. And I never want to forget that. But I'm an Army brat. I'm one of seven children. I was born and raised in the Army. My dad was a career Army man. And uh, the things that I'm going to share with you this morning are a direct results of a written four-step done with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and written in the four-column method. Now, I know some of you might not think that's conference-approved, but I'm here to tell you nobody in this room is conference-approved. And uh, <laughs> unless you've got that tattoo on you. Some people don't approve of that, but you see, when I came in, uh, there was no blueprint for progress. And uh, I hate to remind the Alnons, but you know, everything we have today, we got from them, including the illness. So <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't live with us if we behaved like them for two seconds. <laughs> so no wonder we're sicker than they are. You know, I have no quarrel with that. You know, they wouldn't live with it. That's the absolute truth. I haven't met an alcoholic yet who doesn't agree with that. Uh, so I have no quarrel being the sicker. But I grew up with, my folks were a lot of fun. My folks, I'm sorry to say, are not alcoholic. Uh, I don't call any of my relatives alcoholic because they didn't go to meetings. And uh, it's my conception. My sponsor told me that I didn't have the right to call anyone an alcoholic unless they raised their hand in an AA meeting as an alcoholic. Before that, they're just drunk. Now, my parents drank. We had parties every Saturday night, and uh, it was always looked like fun to me. I grew up having no fear about drinking. My mother laughed and sang and played the piano till the day she died. She was a dynamite lady, and uh, she had to be crazy, first of all, to have seven kids. Her mother had 13. She was even weirder. But um, back then, we didn't know where babies come from. I heard uh, a friend of mine say, Ken Devaney, who said, you know, safe sex to us in our era was make sure the doors are locked on the car. And, <laughs> but I had five brothers. I was the only girl in that family for a long time, and the rule in the house was they had to take me everywhere they went. And, uh, and I loved it. They hated it. But uh, no one ever talked back in my family. We, that's back when children were seen and not heard. I try to remind my grandchildren of that, but uh, it doesn't work. And, uh, but they had to take me everywhere, and I could beat them at any sport, and uh, I love that, you know, and uh, I can do anything they can do. Uh, even today, when we're together, you know, I say the only difference between me and you is that you've never been pregnant and I've never been circumcised, and that's it, you know. <laughs> and so it was a happy house. Now, when I say it was a happy house, it was a house full of rules because my dad ran us just like the Army. There were Saturday morning inspections, and we were restricted. When we did something naughty, we were whipped with a belt. I don't go to Battered Children's Anonymous. Thank you. I qualify for a lot of programs. I go to nothing but open AA meetings, Alateen when I'm invited, and Al-Anon. And that has given me everything that any woman in the whole world could want in her life and more, more than I ever deserved or expected. And... Uh, so um, I'm happy with that. But it was fun getting a whipping in our house because my dad was gone a lot. And my mother had a, uh, she couldn't catch us. And uh, she would start laughing. She had a marvelous sense of humor. And she gave each one of us that sense of humor as a gift. And I misused mine for a long time in my marriage until I got to Al-Anon. But anyway, uh, 
she couldn't catch us, but she had a fine mind, which is probably what I told her. I said, the reason you're losing your mind, Mom, is because you, you tattled on us so much when we were kids. But she would just give her morning report to Dad. She would, he would come home and she'd say, she did this, he did this, he did this. And he'd march us in one by one and whip us with this belt, you know. We paid my youngest brother a nickel to hide that belt. And he was always pretty dumb. He always, Dad would always say, tell the truth and you won't get a whipping. And he'd tell him and get the whipping for ratting. I thought it was great. And, uh, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. But there were certain things. The labels I share with you this morning are a direct result of that fourth step. I didn't like being a girl because girls were, diff- were raised different in our house. I had to be in the house at 9 o'clock until I was 16 years old. My brothers didn't have to peel potatoes. They didn't have to set the table or do dishes or make their bed or do any of those things. And I really felt put upon. Now, I never mentioned that. I am not that dumb. I, I never thought about it then until I got into my inventory. But, uh, and we moved a lot. I hated, hated moving. I grew up with the thought that all I wanted to do was grow up, get married, and live in one town the rest of my life. My children would go to school and their children would go to school. And we would never, ever move. And, uh, you know, eventually in this program, you get all your, all your dreams here. You know, today I have lived 20, almost 21 years in the house that I'm in now. And that's the longest I've lived in any house in my entire life. And that's because of this program. But uh, we moved and I hated being the new girl in school. And uh, my brother and I, who are about 10 months apart, I think, something like that, and uh, we lied and told him we were twins, so that helped a lot because I had my brother in the same class, and uh, it was a, a fun life. And uh, so that, those were the things. That's all I wanted to do was grow up, get married, and have eight children because I love big families. And uh, I am so grateful that God does not listen to the prayers of fools. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done with eight, although I have eight today, and I hope to remember to tell you that. Uh, I had four, and they're all mine. And uh, you'll understand that. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> when we moved from uh, Oklahoma into New York, my father decided it was time to get me out of overalls and into a dress to become a lady. And so he put me in a convent. And uh, <laughs> my folks aren't Catholic. That's one. And uh, aren't to this day. But in, those, in the olden days, as my kids like to say, uh, that's what they did. Um, I went to school with girls from uh, all over the world, different faiths, different colors. And uh, my nuns were not kind and loving. They were trained by Hitler. And uh, <laughs> the, mean, the meanest nun in that school uh, it was a personal friend of mine until the day she died. She died two years ago. And uh, she taught me a whole lot. They were consistently mean. It's nice to be consistent. Um, <laughs> she taught me not to play, uh, to chew gum. Um, she, she told me not to chew gum. And, uh, and so I chewed it. And she invited me to eat soap. And it was not Dove or Ivory. It was GI soap is what I called it. But it was like Fell's nap then. All of you in this room are much too young to remember that soap. But it's yellow. <laughs> it was out to speak. And I'll tell you something that I learned. I did not chew gum until I was 45 years old. <laughs> and even today, I only chew half a stick in case I make one of those broads. And... Uh, <laughs> Some things never go away. (laughs) 
And nuns today still look like nuns, even though they don't wear the habit. You know, I tease Sister B all the time because I got to watch her get sober and wittier. And uh, I said, you know, you look like a nun in a bathing suit. I mean, there's just something about them. And uh, it's true. They do. But uh, because of that fine Catholic education, I became a convert to Catholicism. And I majored in, in shame and minored in pain, I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Everything I heard, and that's as I heard, and I'm no different than the alcoholic. I have selective hearing on any any day. Depends on my spiritual uh, connection with God. I can tell you that because uh, I hear funny, and uh, unless I'm in a good place, I hear funny today. But all I heard was there's big sins and little sins, and uh, and I didn't want to be caught doing that. But uh, that fine that. Uh, <clears throat> I learned also in the program that, you know, religion is for those who believe in hell, but spirituality is for those of us that have been there. And that suits me just fine. I'm a Catholic in good standing. I'm not a recovering Catholic. I, I have no quarrel with the church. Church didn't have anything to do with what I did with my life. And uh, I'm happy to report that. I, uh, we eventually, I went to high school in Europe, and we eventually came back, and we settled in uh, California, in Northern California, and I met the God of my understanding. <laughs> now, I had dated some in high school. I was very popular in high school, and it wasn't because I had an interesting and helpful manner. I had a good sense of humor, and I had a lot of male friends uh, and uh, a lot of girlfriends. And the reason I had all those people in my life was because I had five good-looking brothers. I am not dumb. And... Uh, and they loved coming to our house because it was always a lot of fun. My brothers, to, the, to this day, never, when they were in the service, never came home alone. They always brought two or three other people with them. And as I said, now when I tell you how my family was, uh, it says when the seven of us were together, it's like we had seven different sets of parents. Everybody remembers their folks differently. And I learned that in open AA meetings in and now not. And... Uh, because it's really funny. They'll think, I say, God, that doesn't sound like my mother. You know, it must have been yours. <laughs> so, and my mother used to just make my mother's hair stand up when we do that. Excuse me. But um, it, was a, it was a neat time of my life. But um, I always thought that my father had ruined my life because the night of my senior ball, the gentleman that I was going to the, to the dance with was older than I was. And the deal was he had to have me home by midnight or the MPs would escort me home because we were living on base, and that's exactly what they did. We were five minutes late, and they took me out of the car into the Jeep and delivered me to my father, and I was restricted for 30 days. And when my dad said no, he meant no. You know, he was a very small man in stature. But let me tell you, he meant what he said, said what he meant, and he covered the ground he stood on till the day he died. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that upbringing today because it has given me a fine mind and uh, most of the time since I'm more mature than most of you uh, not older more mature I like that <laughs> but anyway I met the God of my understanding and he was wonderful as all alcoholics are and I have the right to call him an alcoholic because he died as a member of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous this past year and for that I'm eternally grateful for and uh, because it wasn't always that way. But um, he was everything anybody could, any girl could want. He was tall and good looking, had blonde curly hair, blue eyes, big dimples, big shoulders, was a big football star. Sounds like a horse, but he was just built that way. He was just big. And uh, 
I entered into the relationship the same way I entered into the marriage two years later. Lucky. Wasn't I lucky that I had this wonderful man who was so wonderful, good-looking, polite, well-mannered, wonderful, wonderful man, good sense of humor, uh, that wanted someone as ugly as I was. Because all my life I felt ugly. I don't know where my self-worth was, but I never felt adequate, never felt dressed appropriately. If I went to a party and they were in slacks, I was in a dress. If I went in slacks, they were in dresses. Just never fit in. My feelings are no different than the woman alcoholic, you see. After the first step, I believe that we are exactly alike. I have no quarrel with that. I have as many, I feel as welcome in Alcoholics Anonymous as I do in Al-Anon and Alateen today, and I'm grateful for that, because it's not always that way in some areas today, and it's kind of sad. But anyway, I, uh, we were engaged for two years, and uh, all the rules in our house stopped. I thought they liked him better than me. That's exactly how I felt. Uh, but uh, it was a wonderful courtship. I knew then that there was a little problem, but I couldn't see it. It was always my fault. He always said it was my fault, and I always believed him. And uh, we married two years later, and he proposed with that magic two words. You're what? So we ran off to Reno and we were married. And you know, it started, and my marriage is no different than anyone else's. It's just more in one degree and not in another. No alcoholics are alike, I'm here to tell you that. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for. Um, but anyway, I knew nothing about alcoholism. Absolutely nothing. I thought that I was going crazy. And... Uh, Crazy and crazier, you know. It's just, I couldn't figure out what was happening in my life because it started out so great. In the beginning, we were not both sick, you know. Alcoholism is a sneaky, sneaky, rotten disease. And it never gets better. It always gets worse unless you seek help. And I know that today. But I didn't know anything about it then. And uh, I had told him all my big secrets, you know, because he was so easy to talk to. And I didn't learn until I came to Al-Anon not to tell him everything because it never sounded right when it came back a month later, you know, when he was drinking. And uh, it just didn't work very well. I wanted four children. I wanted eight children. He didn't want any, and I had four. I had two little girls 15 months apart, and uh, four years went by, and I had two little boys 15 months apart. I was told after my first one that uh, I would never have children again, and... Uh, I never thought I had a control issue, but anyway, uh, I had three more. Two of my children were crippled children, poster kids in California, and I got very sick behind that. Because first of all, I had married out of my faith. And I was pregnant when I got married, and I thought God was punishing me. Today I know that's not true, but then I didn't. I thought that I had uh, committed this big sin. And uh, worse than that, the priest told me, was that I had married a Southern Baptist. That's worse than getting pregnant <laughs> for a Catholic <laughs> in the old days. But <clears throat> I had these uh, four children, and I just kept getting sicker. Now, in the beginning, I did not drink. And uh, my husband taught me to drink. And uh, uh, since I was pregnant, 
I never went out to drink with him. And then my brother, my oldest brother, sat me down. He said, you know, Carol, there's a lot of women out there that will drink with him if you won't. Because he always asked me to go with him on Friday night. And uh, so I, I started going out with my husband. And uh, he taught me to drink. And I drank at him, against him. Tried to get drunk first so he'd see what he looked like. And it, <laughs> it did not work for me. Now, I know today, as I stand here, that I am not an alcoholic. And I know that because years ago, one of my first fights was in, to talk was in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and Peggy M. was there, and I was at the meeting, and, it, and, um, and I heard her say, you know, the more I drank, the bigger my tits grew. I thought, wow. <laughs> now, you can tell today that I am not voluptuous. Uh, inside I am, but that's okay. But I know today from hearing her that drinking did not do for me what it did for them. You know, if you're short, it makes you tall. If you're tall, it makes you short. If you're blonde, you be a brunette. You know, you're the life of the party if you're a wallflower. You know, it does a magic for the alcoholic that it does not do. And if you're in a drinking marriage, it becomes more important for you to watch what they're drinking than it is for you to drink. Eventually, that's the way it becomes. There was uh, physical abuse in our home. My husband, uh, I'm a battered wife. I do not go to Battered Wives Anonymous. Uh, I know through my inventory that my mouth got me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) I have a killer mouth. I know that sarcasm is to rip the flesh, and I got very good at that in my marriage. You see, I didn't know. I went to bed every single night in my home thinking that when I woke up, it was not going to be the same thing. That what was happening in my life was not happening. That I was just living a nightmare. And uh, that's not true. My children suffered more from living with their mother than they did from their dad because he wasn't home that much. Uh, He was a periodic in the beginning, and I didn't understand that. Um, It was always my fault. He would come home. We would have these, what they call today, meaningful conversations. I don't even use the word meaningful anymore. And I would always apologize for whatever he said I did to cause him to do that. Now, if that makes sense to you, you are in the right place. And uh, it was a crazy way to live. um, My children uh, were abused by their dad. And I know today that a lot of that was done in blackout drinking. And uh, I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And uh, I'm grateful. I thought blackout meant passed out. It does not mean that. And I did a lot of things wrong in that marriage. Uh, I tried everything. I tried uh, marriage counseling. He drove me uh, to the the priest, and he waited in the parking lot while I went in for my counseling, since it was my fault. And uh, the priest said, you know, Carol, it takes two. (laughs) How many times have you asked him coming home, how many drinks you had? Two, you know. (laughs) I have a friend that said, if they say six, they're not alcoholics. (laughs) It's just not. (laughs) <laughs> it's always two, you know. I tried being a better cook and a better baker. I baked all the bread and, and uh, uh, desserts in our house every twice a week for 22 and a half years till everybody in my family had a weight problem of me. And, uh, and I have a full-time career the whole time we were married. Uh, now, I never knew that I probably could have stayed home and... and 
and things would have been all right. I don't know that they would have been. But I've worked all my life since I was 14 years old, so I had a full-time career. I belonged to every organization there was, business and professional professional women, the, the, the church, the altar guild, the parents' club, all this stuff. My children were all sent to parochial school. And my husband eventually married me in the Catholic Church. Uh, I had our marriage blessed in the Catholic Church because he knew with my conscience I would never divorce him. And he was right for many, many years. And uh, I thought tough love meant standing up to him. It does not mean that. And uh, I just got tired of trying to cover up. And my husband would say in the morning, what happened to you? And I'd say, what do you mean what happened to me? You know what happened to me. And he said, you are just really sick. You know? And I thought, well, maybe I dreamed it. Maybe, you know, it looked like I got hit by a truck. I just couldn't figure out what was going on because it was always my fault. And I accepted that. And uh, I got sicker and sicker and sicker. I tried to take my life twice in my marriage. I'm not happy to say that. However, it is no big deal. It's an ordinary thing that happens in marriages in drunkenness. And that's as, as easy as I can say it. Um, I... Uh, just, it wasn't, I didn't even know there were suicide attempts till I came into Al-Anon and had my first Thanksgiving meeting, uh, was on suicide. And uh, we kill our, we try to kill ourselves in various ways. We eat, we don't eat, we smoke, we don't smoke, we drink, we try all this stuff. It doesn't work, but, uh, you know, if you don't believe that there's a God in your life, my God, you know, we're all here. We're all here. And, because uh, we're not all there, is why. And, uh, it, um... No ordinary person, you know, people call them earth people. I call them ordinary people or PWPs, which is people without a program. And uh, they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anywhere to go. You know, in our meetings, we can come in and say, you know, I tried to kill them. They go, or, you know, I want to kill myself. You're right on to, I want to get a divorce. You know, you can on Sunday, so forget it. But anyway, that, nothing is serious. I mean, we come in here and... All my life, I lied about the things. Today, I can laugh about the things I lied about all my life. I lied in confession. How would he know? My husband would say, he's not married. How would he know what's going on? You know, but I was crazy. I absolutely was crazy. Now, my husband was also a womanizer. He had a lot of lower companions. I learned to call him that in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And... Uh, I never looked for my husband but twice. Once I saw his car and I stole his car so he wouldn't kill himself on the way home And because uh, I had stopped going with him. I went out every Friday night with my husband for 22 years to keep the romance in our marriage. It doesn't work because if you drink, the, if you drink too much, they just, you get drunk, they take you home and dump you and go back about their business. And uh, that's, that's how we were living, to keep the romance there. And uh, it didn't work. You know, we played all those games, in the big bed, out of the big bed, on the couch, back in the big bed. Another baby. And uh, <laughs> But um, it was getting steadily worse. Now, the second time, uh, when I took that car home, uh, the next day's being Sunday, I was at church, because by then I was a bead-clicking, candle-burning Catholic, I can tell you. St. Jude was my favorite saint. He still is today. But anyway, uh, I came out of church, and uh, my car was gone. And it wasn't worth stealing, so I couldn't imagine anyone taking it. And uh, we had moved so many times. You know, I moved more with my husband in the 26 and a half years we were married than I moved with my father in 18 years in the Army. And he wasn't in the Army. So, uh, but I knew nothing about geographics. I didn't know anything about those things. 
He just said, it, you know, there was a better job down the road. And if there's one thing I know about alcoholics is that they are the best at whatever they do. If they're a ditch digger, they're the best ditch digger in the world when they're there. And uh, <laughs> I've met, sure met a lot of them. And when you think of, of uh, who they are, you wonder how sometimes we fly on those planes and, uh, you know, go to these places. <laughs> with pilots who really have no business being a pilot. But anyway, uh, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs, they're all here. But anyway, I, uh, the second time I knew how to find him. See, I know how to hurt myself. I don't need anybody's help. All I have to do is uh, think about where he is. And I knew how to call the motels and say, are Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so there? And they'd say, no, but they have reservations. They have reservations. So uh, that would just make me feel better, you know, lower than whale poop, as some people put it. I mean, it was just, uh, I felt less a woman. I never liked being a woman when I got here. My sponsor had a lot of work to do in that area when I got here. But anyway, uh, I knew how to find him, and I was one day out of St. Jude's Hospital with 100 stitches in one leg, and they had to let me go because I wouldn't heal. And I know today why I wouldn't heal. It was impossible to heal in that condition. And... Um, I uh, started calling, and I called a motel where we had lived as a family when we first moved to Southern California. And uh, he made his first mistake of the day. Because I told him, it doesn't matter if you run around, as long as you don't do it in the town that the kids and I live in and go to school and work in. And that's the biggest lie ever told. Because it does do a number. I don't care who you are, uh, man or woman, it does a number on you. And... Uh, he made his first mistake. He answered the phone at this motel, and I gave him an hour to be home because I was into money, property, and prestige, and I wanted the money to pay the rent because I knew his firm was paying a large bonus that, day, that week. And uh, I gave him an hour to be home. Now, I had lost all credibility with him with what I said I would do. I never threatened divorce, but I never did that. And so I, uh, I uh, gave him 55 minutes, and I conned my 17-year-old son at the time and the neighbors who were visiting uh, to take me to that motel with the promise that I wouldn't go in. Biggest lie I ever told. Um, I got there and I knocked on the room uh, door and he answered and that was his second mistake of the day. And I, <clears throat> I got in the room and I don't know how I got in the room and it's not important to me today. But um, his lower companion ran into the bathroom uh, and locked the door and I don't know why she was afraid of me. I made a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I made a hole about this big in the bathroom door with her overnight case. Of course, they weren't doing anything wrong. And uh, they were not properly attired for 2.30 in the afternoon. And uh, I threw her wig out in the middle of Whittier Boulevard. And uh, he didn't know she was wearing a wig. Now, who's sick? And uh, I uh, stole her purse and I turned it into the police in, in that town because I knew that her husband was a cop in another town. And... Uh, then I went back and had a drink with him because I wanted the money. And, uh, and you know, that's, degrade, that's not to degrade the alcoholic, believe me. It's, it's my sickness because I wanted that money, you know. When I was new in Allen, I used to say we were moving. But this is podium pentothal up here and you tell the truth. We were being evicted from our house and I wanted that money. And, uh, but I, as I said, I went back and uh, I got the money and... Uh, and I left. And I'd like to tell you I ran down on. I had been to two A meetings in my lifetime, that short period of time. My 
sister-in-law, my sober sister-in-law from Dallas was visiting while, and my husband was picked up for drunk driving. And uh, I wouldn't get him out of jail. Now, it wasn't that I didn't have the money and it wasn't that, uh, that I knew better. He had, he had embarrassed me in front of his mother and sister and I was not going to be a party to it. I was a snob. It's exactly what I was. But his sister got him out. I don't know what she told her sponsor, but anyway, I remember taking, she said, would you be embarrassed to take me to an A meeting? And I said, no, if you find out, excuse me, where it was, uh, I'll take you. And, uh, and I took her to my first AA meeting in Whittier, California, and Serenity Sam was the speaker, and he made me laugh like I hadn't laughed in years and uh, years. And uh, I am so grateful for having that. And once my husband said he was going to A&A to save our marriage, and uh, I told my boss, I was working for a large Lutheran church at the time, I'm the only Catholic ever certified by the Lutheran church to be a parish secretary. They've since changed the application. But um, I told him about him going to Alcoholics Anonymous because he knew a little bit about my life. And um, I trusted him with it. And uh, he said, Carol, don't ask to go to a meeting with him. Wait until he invites you. And so um, I did. He eventually asked me to go to a speaker meeting. And, uh, and so I did. And a lovely lady at the door as I was leaving patted me on the hand and said, you know, you ought to come to Alamon. And I said, I can't. I work. And that was the end of it. Uh, but by this time, our, we were just, uh, it was just a crazy house. Our daughters were married by that time and out of the house, and I had two teenage sons. And uh, we moved from that home, and I moved into a, an apartment. I had gotten enough uh, courage to uh, keep the money separate, and I rented an apartment, and he was gone. Now, he never said, Carol, I'm going to be gone about 14 days, but I don't want you to eat, sleep, or have any fun but go to work every day and lie, cheat, and steal for me. But I did that of my own accord. I am not a victim of an alcoholic marriage. I'm a volunteer. Never. I don't have victimitis. I don't want victimitis. I take full responsibility for my part in that. And that's through the steps of this program. But um, anyway, the day I moved, he came home, wouldn't you know? And then one more time we had that conversation. It was going to be better now that those damn kids were gone. You know, and that didn't sound as good to me as it did in the beginning. And uh, we were out. He'd always wanted a pool. We moved to, I had moved to an apartment, a uh, small apartment, two-bedroom apartment with a pool in our front yard. And uh, we had, uh, we were sitting on the patio, and he said, let me mix you a drink. And I said, no, I'll never drink with you again as long as I live. And from, I don't remember what happened that night. I have not found it necessary to go to a therapist to find out. Frankly, I really don't care because I can't go back and relive it. I can't even go back to yesterday and make that plain be on time. So um, I don't try. But I, uh, I uh, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was covered in blood and black and blue from head to foot and had very few teeth, no glasses, and I had lost the hearing in my one ear from lack of knowledge and my mouth. I never, ever knew what I was dealing with. And I ran away from home. I grabbed my purse, my, my non-alcoholic my non purse, covered with, I mean, with crap in it. No money, but lots of bills and stuff, important stuff. And I ran away from home, and I ran to my boss's house, and I called Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's what I remembered. I called, and the magic of the program began for me, because that man kept me on the phone, 
and uh, said, Carol, give me your number. He said, I have a lady who needs to talk to you. And if you just stay there for 10 minutes, I'll have someone call you. And the magic began because it seems to me today, even 27, I'll be 27 on August 15th if I make it. And I hung up that phone and it, it rang immediately to me. And I picked up that phone and a lovely, soft, southern voice from Texas talked to me. And she kept me on the phone for a long time. And that began for me a necklace of diamonds that only God and I can see. By that I mean she got the address where I was and she came over and she spent the entire day with me. And then she took me that night to my first meeting on August 15th in La Habra, California of 1974. And nobody at that meeting said, oh, you poor thing. I, I was apologizing for having on my sunglasses. And uh, this lady said, why don't you just start by being grateful you can see. <laughs> I thought she was tacky. <laughs> but you see, they didn't feel sorry for me. And, and I'm grateful for that. They gave me tough love. Uh, during the break, a little teeny tiny lady came up and shared how she stopped the physical violence in her home, and I listened to it. And uh, uh, I got a sponsor that night because I heard about sponsorship. My sponsor is somebody that I want to be just like when I grow up, and that is still my only criteria for a sponsor. I, I don't care how she behaves in a meeting because she taught me nobody behaves in a meeting like they do at home. I know that's not true of you guys. But nobody does. So she said, you look, you look at the marriages in the program that you want. You look at the people and how they behave with one another when they're outside the program. And uh, that's my criteria today. But anyway, I got a sponsor that night, and it was the lady that made the 12-step call on me. We don't get many 12-step calls anymore in Algon because they all come through hospital programs or therapists or someone else. But it, they pay to get sent there. That's how sick they are. <laughs> they don't know it's free. But anyway, um, just a little pain and... Uh, you know, I didn't come here because I was out shopping at Dillard's and wanted to come in and see what you had on sale. I came because of the four-letter word pain, and I stay today for the four-letter word love because it's given me everything. Uh, she told me how she stopped the physical violence, and I excuse me, went home and waited. And uh, when old-timers tell you something, just wait your time because it will come to you in God's time and listen to him because they have a lot of wise things. And she said, I just waited till he was sobering up. And then I looked him in the eye and said, remember, you have to sleep sometime. And, uh, <laughs> and I waited my turn. And, of course, I have a smart mouth. So when my turn came, you know, he felt really bad and he was on the couch. And I said, remember, you'll never touch me again because, remember, you have to sleep sometime. And I'll tell you, as I stand here today, it still does my heart good. He became a nervous sleeper. <laughs> he, would, he would start to nod off and he'd look to see where I was. <laughs> of course, I did have an aluminum blue ball bat in my hand when I said it. And that helped. But uh, I tell you, I learned... Everything. I went home and I practiced. My sponsor gave me three assignments. She didn't ever, has never. My sponsor today, named Charlotte, has never told me what to do. She has shared her love of the program and her marriage with me. 
And that's the way I learned. She gave me assignments. And she said, first thing I want you to do is go home and keep up doing all those things, those four-letter words that we like to release. And uh, that's like wash, iron, cook, bake, glove, kiss, all those things. I said, you've got to be kidding. She said, no. Carol, I want you to practice at home your service. You continue doing those things. And I would go home, and I would sing and whistle. And believe me, I whistle better than I sing. And he would say to me, you're not happy. And I'd say, yes, I am. (laughs) Because I had learned by pretending it becomes so. And you pretend to do the things you want to do until they no longer have to be pretended. And that's simple. And my second assignment was to go home and tell my children that I loved them out loud. I didn't think my parents loved me. I hadn't heard it very much that I even remember, you see. And I know today through my inventory, I wanted all the love my father had for all of us, for me. Because I always felt less then. I had a little sister uh, by that, that time, and I didn't like her when she was born. And I don't like her much today. But I love her in a very special way. <laughs> she needs this program desperately. But she doesn't choose to come. And I know that I'm too close to her. It's going to be you guys that help her. But anyway, um, I, uh, I just loved it. I went home and I would say to my boys, remember, no matter what, I love you. And they'd say, oh, God, you know, what's going on with Mom? You know? <laughs> because I always heard the same thing at home. You know, keep your hands in your pocket and your fly zipped and you won't get in trouble. That's what my mother always told my brothers. And uh, she was telling the wrong person, probably. But anyway... Uh, It worked, because they don't know. It took me six years calling my father every Sunday during Wide, Wide World of Sports. And I would say, I love you, Dad. And he'd say, you're a good kid, clunk. Six years. And I said, I love you, Dad. And he said, I love you, too. And from that day forward, I heard it all the time. And that begins at home, because the kids don't know. Kids don't know. Parents don't know. So it's real important. Those are the three magic words. My third assignment was to practice finding a God in my understanding by looking in the mirror three times a day and telling the lady in the mirror that I liked her and that I loved her. I did not know that God's a lover. God has always loved me. No matter whether I'm good, no matter where I go to church, no matter what I do in my life, my God loves me. And I know that. And I did that. It sounds silly, feels dumb. But I wear this little pin every time I share. It was made for me by a double winner, not a double whiner. And, and, sh- and when I'm out of sorts with you, all I have to do is look in this mirror and see where the problem is. I have some little things uh, that Dick is looking into getting me more of that says you are looking at the problem that I have a few with me, and I'd be glad to share them with you. And uh, that's what I have to remember. It is never you. It is always me. I have discovered who the enemy is. You know, my mind is furnished just like a house. If you've got warm, loving thoughts in that mind, that's the way you're going to become. But if you put cold, boring, and rotten in there, that's the way you're going to hear. And uh, I know that today. I, ha- I read recently where this a man and his wife at an airport, and this man said, where's your home? And the man turned to his wife and he said, wherever she is. You see, that's the kind of thing I wanted. When I got through with my inventory and my steps, I got a divorce. It was necessary for me to get that divorce because I had resigned as entertainment chairman in my home. It was no longer necessary for me to make him behave the way I thought he should 
for me, for the world, for his family, for whatever reason. And uh, it was a difficult divorce. He didn't want it. We had to find him. But uh, and he moved a tie at a time out of that house. It was really hard. But um, I followed through. It was not a threat. It was something that I had to do for my safety and for the safety of my children, the two boys. Because by then my boys had started drinking. It was like having triplets in the house. <laughs> But you see, I went to my first meeting on a Thursday, and Friday night I went to an AA speaker meeting, and that was my meeting to the day I married and moved across town. And I, I still continue to go, and I urge Al-Anons to go to the open AA meetings because you'll hear your own story. But anyway, I, uh, I remained single in Al-Anon. People would say, how come you're still coming? You no longer live with the problem. Well, I am the problem right here. I don't think positive. I absolutely don't think positive. I think negative. It's foreign. It's as foreign for me to give up criticizing, gossiping, and all those things. It is for the alcoholic to stop drinking. But I strive. I don't want to be perfect. I live with perfection all my life. No thanks. There's only one perfect person, and uh, he's upstairs. But anyway, uh, I stayed single in Al-Anon, and I, I had a lot of fun. I, I was very busy. I became secretary of my group my first 30 days in Al-Anon. There were no rules back then. And uh, sometimes I think there's none today. But anyway, I, uh, there's only 12 steps. And, uh, and I loved it. I had all the speakers I ever wanted to hear. You see, I was really fortunate. I came in, and um, Betty Alpe and uh, Dottie Walker and Winnie Eddy and, and all the great ones that are now upstairs. And, uh, and they were members of my home group, and uh, I was very blessed because I still have all the friends that I came in with in my life today, and that's because of you. And uh, I uh, started a 12-step panel that went out in Southern California. We had a lot of fun. We didn't know any more about the steps than you did, but we were enthusiastic about doing them. My favorite steps today, as they were then, are 4, 5, and 6 because they freed me to be me, and I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm a four-step advocate. I don't care how you do your four-step. I just care that you do it, you know. Uh, the things that happened in my life are absolutely no different than in any marriage. Uh, there's a lot of name-calling in marriages, and that used to just kill me. I, my husband used to tell me I was stupid. Nobody would want me, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I hated that word because I already felt dumb enough without being called stupid. And, uh, and my friend, Ungrateful Bud, who's my eye doctor and helped me look so nice today, said, uh, you know, Carol, there's the joke about that. I said, what? And he said, God and Adam are walking in the Garden of Eden and said, can I ask you a couple questions, God? And he said, sure. He said, how come, how come you made Eve so beautiful? And he said, so you'd like her. And he said, well, how come you made her so soft and smell so good and nice to cuddle up to? And he said, so you'd like her. And he said, well, how come you made her so stupid? And God said, so she'd like you. I love to laugh. I love to laugh, I'll tell you, because laughter is... I don't shake hands because I swung on a man who reached out to touch me. I was untouchable and unhuggable when I got here. And uh, so I hug. I don't, my sponsor told me, just shake, don't shake hands if you don't like it. And uh, so I don't. But hugging has uh, 
return to me all the right parts. I, uh, as I said, I, date, I started dating. I dated some alcoholics who were not conference approved. And, uh, <laughs> but they're all gentlemen. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for. And because uh, I hadn't dated since I was 16. And, uh, and it was uh, difficult. So for the married people in this program, I am utterly, utterly uh, thankful for. Because they took me everywhere, you know. Because I'd been married over a quarter of a century. And uh, single people, you know, hang out with the married ones. Don't hang out in that crowd of trolling. Go with the married ones. You'll meet someone. And uh, so anyway, uh, when I was, uh, I felt uh, comfortable in my skin. Let me tell you, I was out there trolling with the rest of them. And uh, I went to an Alateen wedding. I was very uh, uh busy with Alateens in, in uh, my early days, and uh, we're forever grateful for that. I was going to an Alateen wedding. I had known these boys since they were 12 years old, and both of them married. Uh, this one was marrying a member of Alateen, and the other one did uh, later on, too. But anyway, I went to that wedding. By then, I was dating an ordinary person who was very boring. Because once you've talked about the kids and the weather and the job, there's nothing else to talk about because feelings scare them to death, you know. How would you like to go to your church and say, you know, last night I thought about stabbing my husband, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that they would say, oh, yeah, well, that's ordinary, you know. But, but that's what they are. They're ordinary people who have a workable faith in most cases. And, uh, but anyway, when I was ready, I went to this wedding. He didn't want to go because he didn't think there'd be any drinking. And uh, so... Uh, I went to that wedding, and there on the steps of that church stood Dick Thornton. And uh, he was tall, good-looking, and had beautiful gray hair and blue eyes, nice dimples, big shoulders. <laughs> and uh, I went up and gave him a hug and a kiss, and he said, Hi, Carol. I said, Hi, Dick. Now, I don't remember where I met him, and my roommate said, Where do you know him from? I said, Program. She said, Where? I said, I don't know. But I know I don't remember names always, but I remember faces. And uh, when he walked into the reception, he was with a short, blonde, voluptuous lady. And uh, I said to the mother of the bride, as soon as she goes to the ladies' room, I'm going over and give her my card. And she said, you wouldn't do that. And I said, it's a program of attraction, and I want what he's got. And <laughs> I have a friend named B.R., and she always says, love is but a fleeting moment. Lust lasts forever. <laughs> and I really lusted after him, I'll tell you. And I went over and gave my card, and I said, if you're ever in La Habra or, Whitt- or Whittier, please look me up. And, uh, and then I went home and waited, and my sponsor at the time was Winnie Eddy. And she said, I didn't want anybody to call me, nobody I sponsored, no, not my sponsor. I didn't want to be on the phone. It was before call waiting. And, and she said, you know, you're doing the same thing with Dick Thornton that you did with your husband. And I said, what's that? And she said, you're waiting for someone else to make you happy. So if you want him in your life, put his name on a piece of paper, put it in your guide box, and get your buns back into the business of living. And that's exactly what I did. And when I had completely forgotten about him and was going up north to visit my children, uh, he called on a weekend that I normally wouldn't have been home. And uh, But I worked with B.R., and she was a member of that panel. She said, we ought to stay home this weekend because I said, well, gosh, I've turned down all the potlucks and stuff. I said, because I was going to be gone. She said, well, I think you ought to stay home. And by then I was teachable, and I listened, and I stayed home that night. And uh, my phone rang, and this deep, sexy voice said, hello, Carol, this is Dick Thornton. And I said, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a diamond. And we started dating. 
and we fell in love sober. Dick sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous a year longer than I was in Al-Anon. He needed that year to put up with me. And, uh, and these sober thinking in Al-Anon. That's the diamond. I got my ring on Halloween when all good witches get their ring. <laughs> that's a diamond. We had a program wedding, and that's a diamond. I was, had a huge wedding with more than 600 of you love relatives in attendance. And that's a diamond because we were joining two, two parts of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon from different areas. That's a diamond. We made a commitment to that marriage, and by that, uh, I, ha- I wanted to do all the right things. You see, I had couples ahead of me whose marriages I watched, like Dick and Peggy, Clancy and Charlotte, Winnie and Lloyd John, you know, lots and lots of people, the Scots, you know. I have a lot of uh, people as examples because I was taught the only way to carry the message of AA Alman or Alatine is by example, by example, and by example. And I believe that today. I don't care how many years you have. I want to I see how you behave here, in the stores, in the street, at work, you know. We have young people coming in and they say, I just hate my job. I wonder why. You know, I wonder why. Because they have a boss. You want to be boss? Go to school and be the boss. It's very simple. <laughs> but in our marriage, I put Dick before my children. Dick had four and I had four. I got my eight. We put him before my children. He put me before his. We did absolutely no babysitting for any of our 16 grandchildren at the time. That's the diamond. Our children had all been married longer than we had. That's the diamond. (laughs) Dick took all the pain out of my first marriage. That's the diamond. That's the diamond. We did everything that we ever wanted to do together. That's the diamond. We don't have date night. Every day is date night in our house. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. And he loved me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. That's a diamond. We prayed together on our knees morning and night. That's a big diamond. We had no secrets in our marriage. And that's a diamond. And one thing you alcoholics seem to get is emphysema. Now, my husband fell and broke his hip nine months after we were married. We told the kids we wouldn't want to have children. So he broke his hip. And... uh, and uh, I became a kept woman, and that's what I call women who are fortunate enough not to work. So be grateful. And, uh, and God, I loved it. I got to do all the things. Dick wanted me to stay home. And uh, so for seven and a half years, I was home. And uh, emphysema is a progressive disease, and he got steadily worse until it was, um, it was incurable. And uh, he was at home, tied up to a 50-foot hose, told him if he ever messed up, I tie it in a knot, and because uh, let me tell you, if you have someone that's that's terminally ill in your home, you better have a good sense of humor. You better have a good sense of humor, because it really comes in handy. Do your crying at the mall, because they never care at the mall. They don't even look at you. But anyway, um, because of that, uh, I decided to go back to work, and I went and got a Mickey Mouse job. I just wanted a job where I had to be dressed up every day because you need a reason to buy clothes, of course, and because uh, <laughs> I got my own taste back when I came down and on. And uh, 
I just wanted to be kind and loving to people because that's the only thing God wants me to be. The kicker is he wants me to be kind and loving all the time. And uh, that's what I strive for. But anyway, I got this job. And because of this Mickey Mouse job at, at a large corporation, I, I met a man who uh, I could talk to men now because I didn't have that jealousy in my life. And uh, my husband was always horrendously jealous. <laughs> I couldn't understand why. But anyway, uh, he, he came in on a, a cart and I asked. We got to talking about emphysema naturally. And the next time I saw him was about a month later and he was walking without the oxygen. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I'm preparing for a lung transplant. And I said, I didn't think they could do transplants. He said, oh, yeah, you have to be, you know, in this exercise program. But because he'd been doing this, he was able to do without oxygen for periods of time. And he told me about it. And I went with Dick. And that's another thing. When you got someone sick, go with them to the doctor. You both need all the notes and all the questions answered and one of you always gets confused so we both went together and I asked his doctor how come he hadn't told Dick about the transplant program and he said well I didn't think he was um, a good candidate and I said I didn't I didn't think you were God and uh, (laughs) you taught me that you taught me to stand up and speak up and for that I'm grateful but because of that we went to a transplant program and Dick was approved And he was the only alcoholic that I know in 1992 that got a lung transplant from the gift of life, from a young man who had never drank or smoked in his life. And because of that, we had four and a half glorious more years of our marriage. My husband and I got to speak together. We had a wonderful time. He eventually got some bad medical treatment. That's another thing doctors don't always know. Even though you tell them you're alcoholic, they think they know best. And uh, it's not true. But anyway, um, it was a wonderful life. Uh, My marriage was the most glorious part of this program and the biggest diamond. And and he passed away on uh, four years ago in January. And uh, he died just the way he lived. Content to be sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I wasn't alone in that room when he died. You know, you never have to do anything alone in this program unless you want to, unless you like to sit on your pity pot till your butt's so red you can't stand it. And uh, <laughs> friends were with me when he died, and uh, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to leave me. I said, Dick, it's, it's not my time to go, but, um, you know, I release you with love. He had almost died many times. But uh, anyway, when he died, uh, my friends took me home. I showered and got dressed and went to the mortician. That's what I call him. And uh, he said, are these all your relatives? And I said, well, they're my love relatives. Now, they never heard the word love, so they just thought they were related. And he said, well, I'm asking the questions and they're answering. I said, because they know what I want. And uh, then he said, well, you have to pick out this casket. So he opened this door, and there was as many coffins in there, I think, as there are people here today. And, and, you know, you had to stand there and look. And uh, Larsine reached over to me, and she said, we have a professional shopper in our our group. And... uh, She reached over and she said to me, we're standing in the store, she said, you know, if you have to buy a coffin for Dick, she said, uh, don't buy it here. There's one on the Internet. And I tell you, I laughed. I laughed till I was sick. And the poor mortician didn't know what the heck to think, you know. He thought we got all these crazy people, you know. But he's in a good place. He's in a good place. He's upstairs with all the other people having a good time. In fact, today when the phone rings and this 
realtor called the other day and said, Dick was by the office a couple of weeks ago and wanted me to give you all the information about the new rates. And I said, he was, huh? And uh, he said, well, where is he? I said, well, he's upstairs. And he said, well, when's he coming down? I said, I don't know. He hasn't called or written. He tell me. Yeah, sick, sick, sick. But another big diamond is sponsorship. I believe in sponsorship. However, I do not believe in telling people what to do. They got to learn to stand on their own two feet. Not by themselves, because you're always there. I talked to my sponsor this morning from the dining room. Heard every word she said. Didn't have any problem. And uh, she wishes you all well. And she'd like to be here too, I'm sure. But uh, Charlotte's not able to travel today, but she will be. And uh, the thing about it is, is that this, the, spon- the ladies I sponsor, and I only sponsor ladies because they've been to hell and back just like the alcoholic. And I only ask them one thing. And the only people more grateful for them than I am are their husbands because they work their program at home. And home is where the diamonds are. If you want your husband to be a lover, become a lover with no expectations. No expectations, that's the kicker. If you want her to be a hugger, you become the hugger. Put them first. That's where they belong. That's where they belong. Because a marriage is a blessed event in this program just like it is any other place in the world. And you have your heroes. I sponsor some ladies who are husband beaters, and I call them my mafia squad. (laughs) They have a warm place in my heart, and that stands for Magnificent Al-Anons Fit for Instant Assault. (laughs) And I only have one rule. One rule for them. Call before you shoot. (laughs) And when I was new in Al-Anon, I was asked to go and share my first 30 days. And I said, I don't know anything. And my sponsor said, that's true. However, has your home life changed in this past 30 days? And I said, yes. She said, well, that's what you share. And if someone asks you to be your sponsor, that's what you share. And if you're new and ask the sponsor, do it. Because you see, you know more than the newcomer. Because you have that one day, two days, whatever the case may be. And I'll tell you one thing, it'll keep you working the steps ahead of them. And that's the most important thing, you know. But home is where the diamonds are. And I was taught to stand up, speak up, sit down, and shut up. And that's what I'm going to do today. And I thank you for having me. Thank you.